So, Psalm 125, that's where we're going to be looking this morning. So if you've got a Bible, open up there. Uh, we are spending the fall studying together a portion of the book of Psalms that's referred to as the Songs of Ascent. These are a, a series of short psalms that God's people would sing as they would journey together on the long, arduous, at times dangerous trip together to the temple where they would worship God in his presence with his people. They're psalms that if you're a Christian here today, uh, you can sing with even fuller significance in Jesus as we all make our lifelong journey into, at the end of time, worshiping Christ in his presence with his people forever. So read with me Psalm 125 this morning. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the will not remain over the land to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, but those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish doers. Peace be upon Israel. Psalm 125 is describing something that I think the last six-month mess of life has probably built an internal collective longing for in all of us. Here's what Psalm 125 is offering. You can become unshakable immovable, filled with a deep sense of internal security that isn't blindly ignoring the harsh realities of life or puffing yourself up with some sort of overblown self-confidence. No, here's what it's offering to you right now. An honest, sobered security in life where you become strengthened and surrounded by something too strong to fail. Do you want that? You know, the moments of crisis in life, uh, the big ones, the ones that stop us in our tracks, like we've all been experiencing to certain degrees over the last six months, do a tremendous job of testing the things that we thought made us secure in life and revealing how really shaky they are. I mean, think about for a second, think about some of the things 12 months ago that seemed automatic, certain to you. Your health, your income, your kids going to school during the day, your social life, relationships, yourself. And how, through this pandemic, unfortunately frail they've been shown to be. You see, what we need is something, something too strong to fail, to strengthen us, to surround us. Not just now, though. No, now has only showed how much we have always needed this. And if you're a Christian here today, this is especially, hear me, this is especially true of you. Verse 3 in this psalm 
Uh, Verse 3 tells us that this psalm was written to God's people while they were living under constant opposition, which if you're a Christian here today, whether you maybe understand it or not, that describes you right now as well. Jesus in John 15 told his disciples uh, that there is a very real enemy, Satan, who when you're a Christian will do his best to make your life one filled with antagonism, frustration, turmoil. And how does Jesus know that? He says, because it was the same with me. And Psalm 125 is showing us the only thing that can really make you secure in life. And it helps us see that three different ways. It shows us the picture of God's security, the promise of God's security, and the provision of God's security. So first, the picture of God's security. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 in this psalm don't so much tell us about what a life secured by God would be like, but instead shows us what it'll be like. Uh, First, it does this by giving us a picture of man. It says in verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. Uh, Mount Zion was in Jerusalem uh, that when the Bible refers to it not as much physically, but to it more theologically. Uh, More than just a really tall hill, Mount Zion was the place where God lived with people. It was the place of his presence, the place where he gave his blessings to his people Israel, meaning what made Zion this fortress was ultimately nothing special about itself but because God was there. Zion to Israelites was a symbol, a metaphor of God's presence and protection that stayed over them forever. And the psalmist is saying that when you trust in God, you become like Zion immovable, unshakable, enduring forever. That, that you get a strength in you that's beyond anything you can muster up, beyond anything in this life. You are strengthened by the God of the universe himself. And so to fill out this picture a little bit more, we get not just a picture of man, but then also a picture of God. Verse 2 says, as the mountains surround So the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Uh, I'm not much of an outdoorsy person. If you know me, probably not a big surprise. But I have climbed a mountain before. When I was a kid, I climbed Mount Marcy, which is in upstate New York. It is the tallest peak in all the northeast states of America. All right, you get up to the top of it, and you can look out over the top of the other 45 high peaks in that mountain range, as far as the eye can see. You know what I felt when I got up there? Scared. Partially because I'm terrified of heights, but also partially when you're up there, you realize there is nothing shielding me, nothing surrounding me, nothing protecting me. I am completely exposed, completely out in the open. The reason a puff of wind doesn't just blow me off the top of this mountain. Verse 2 is saying the Christian life is the 
exact opposite experience. Zion, while being the most significant hill in Israel, wasn't the tallest. No, it was surrounded on all sides by hills higher than it, meaning it had this natural barrier all around it, protecting it, keeping it secure. And the psalmist is saying that is a picture of what the God of the universe does to each and every one of his people. When in the Lord, the psalm is saying, you become strengthened and surrounded by something too strong to fail. Meaning, contrary to how we often think and describe and hear Christianity described today, that it's a leap in the dark, that, that the Christian life is like a trapeze artist who's flying through midair just hoping that the, the poor guy on the other side of the line there is going to catch them. No, Psalm 125 is saying the Christian life is like living in a stronghold, in a vault where nothing can touch you. The God of the universe gives you this deep internal security where despite the circumstances, you can't be moved. Think with a picture like this. We would never want to try to find this type of security and anything else. And yet when you read all throughout the Bible, you see people knowingly trust uh, in things like armies, money, politics, to give them the type of security in life that Psalm 125 is picturing. And today, modern people, modern people like you and me, we do this without even thinking about it. 500 years ago, the average Western person walking around uh, town believed that they were vulnerable to spiritual forces outside of them acting upon them. In other words, they saw things in life not just as the outworking of mere scientific natural laws. No, they, they saw them as acts being done in our world to them by spiritual forces outside of them. But today, modern people like you and me, no way around this, our first reflex would be to look at those same events and see them, if they're happening to us today, merely as the results of natural, observable, exceptionalist laws. Meaning, we, you and me, we, we don't walk around every day thinking, feeling vulnerable to spiritual forces outside of us. And because of that, we also don't look for security and help and anything spiritual outside of us. Instead, here's the common American approach to finding security in your life. We trust in the things we can see with our eye, make with our hands, or manipulate through our own planning to make us ultimately feel secure. Things like retirement, health, career, marriage, the list could go on and on. But there's a couple big failures with this modern outlook. I think a lot of times we First is this. When we trust in things in this world to make us secure, it has no answer. We can't answer to the seeming randomness of our world. You know, despite how much we may want to 
take everything in our world and distill it down to just some scientific, natural, observable laws that never change, there's still so much that seemingly happens to chance. I mean, we all people here in Florida, home of the spaghetti strand, cone of uncertainty hurricane model, just aware of this, right? This hurricane may destroy your home and livelihood, or it may just give your garden a good watering. We'll find out tomorrow morning. But the second thing is this. Despite how much we may think in the moment we're putting our trust in something in this world to make us secure, you're actually putting your trust in another human. The Great of China, one of the greatest architectural feats of humanity, designed for security. You know how the Mongols breached it in 1644? They bribed the guards. Try as much as you want to put your trust in anything, anything in this world. You're ultimately putting your trust in another person on the end of the line. You know, a lot of people gained a lot of security from their retirement, their investments, and then the 2008 housing crisis happened. And you know what we found out? We weren't putting our trust in the economy. We were putting our trust in the people running the economy. Now, Psalm 125 says that there is a deep sense of internal security where you are strengthened and surrounded that comes only when you trust in God. And that's why you're probably maybe sitting here thinking, that's right. That's why I'm here today. Uh, I come to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I avoid, you know, the big sins, the ones on kind of like the big list there. God's got to protect me now. Wrong. No, what you're doing is actually putting your trust in the most dangerous thing you could possibly put it in to secure you in life, your religion. You're coming to God and saying, okay, I'll give you two hours on my weekend, 10% of my income, a list of certain vices avoided, and in return, you make sure that nothing terrible happens to me in life. Can you see what you're doing there? You're putting your trust, not in God to secure you, but in your religious resume that you hope will be enough to barter some sort of trade with him where in return, he makes sure that you are protected from anything and everything that could happen to you in life. No, the language in Psalm 125 here, same language that's used in the New Testament, that those who come to God not trusting in themselves, not trusting in their religious performance, instead, trusting that despite their sin, in defiance to their sin, God accepts you, delights in you, cherishes you through the blood of his son. If you do that, you will have a deep security in life because you become strengthened and surrounded by God himself. First, the picture. Second, the promise of God's security. After showing us uh, what a life secured by God will be like, now the psalm shows us some of the things that God's promising to secure us from. And the, the first thing he promises to secure us from is external threats. Uh, verse 3 here is uh, what helps stop this psalm from sounding maybe a bit naive, a little out of touch. 
of everyday life, a little oblivious to what's uh, really going on in the world. It says, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. The scepter of the wicked uh, that it mentions here is a, a metaphor for foreign rule. Essentially, the situation of God's people in this psalm is this. They are out of exile. They are back in their homeland, but they're not in charge. Now, they're living under foreign occupation whose seemingly harsh rule has the upper hand in life right now. It's a picture in many ways, if you're a Christian, of your life today. Right? Jesus told his disciples, while this earth that, that we live on right now, if you're a Christian, is where you will ultimately spend eternity. It's under foreign occupation right now. Satan, sin, death rule our day-to-day -day lives and seemingly, if we're being honest, seemingly has the upper hand. And here's two common effects that, that God's people in the Bible and that us today feel. Two common effects of living in a world where evil seemingly has the upper hand. First, doubts. Uh, to live in the world that the psalmist is living in, the world that you and I live in, uh, where it seems like sin and evil are ruling the day, will naturally stir up in you, if you're at all self-reflective, doubts. Uh, when you see the effects of sin and evil in our world that don't seem to be letting up, it, it, after time, you will start to question does God really care about me? Can I really trust what he says? Is it really worth me sacrificing right now to live for him? And you know, often we, we don't voice these things out loud. And we, we feel them more at a gut level. There's an internal angst in us. Alec Ryrie, who's a professor at Durham University in London, wrote a really good book about a year ago that basically says this, long before atheism was ever voiced in things like the Western Enlightenment, it was felt at a gut level. When the scepter of the wicked hangs over you, it will stir in you doubts. I know it because it does to me too. Here's the second thing that it causes in our lives though. Second effect of living in the world the psalmist is living in, that we're living in, suffering. Living in a world where evil seemingly has the upper hand, unpleasant things will happen to us. I wish it wasn't the case, but it's reality. People that we love will die, will lose things that we cherished, there will be pain, there will be suffering, as long as we're here on this world. And in Psalm 125, God is promising to secure you from those external threats. That in our doubts, God will actually prove himself to be, as he says in verse 1 and 2, immovable, dependable, enduring forever. That when, like the disciples in the gospel, 
thought that the scepter of wickedness had landed over them forever. When they watched Jesus, their king, the man who they had all their hopes in, be crucified right in front of them, God, Jesus, comes to you like he does Thomas, the patron saint of doubt, with his resurrected body. In our doubts, God, when you trust in him, will actually prove that it's the other way around, that it's actually our doubts that are unreasonable and fragile. You see, when we begin to doubt the things that make us doubt, what we discover is God is actually the only thing that makes complete intellectual, emotional, cultural, societal, spiritual sense in our world. And he also also promises to protect us from suffering. The suffering that we experience, it won't last forever. The scepter of wickedness, God says in this verse, it won't rest on his people forever. No, you are safe, hear me, you are safe even in danger. Because God is using even the evil, even the worst in your life in ways that we can't explain to further the purposes of his grace for you. God promises to secure us from external threats. He also promises to secure us from internal threats. Uh, Verse 3 says, again, the scepter of the wicked won't remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Psalm 125, thankfully, has an incredibly realistic nature, uh, understanding about the nature of your heart and nature of my heart. Essentially what verse 3 is saying is this. God won't let evil rule over his people forever because he knows if that's the case, there's a very high risk that some of us may become defectors. That we will give in. We will become collaborators with evil. That God's people here in this psalm, you and me, if you're a Christian here today, we living in a world where evil seemingly has the upper hand, we will forget how short life really is and give in to the temptation of temptations of our age. And maybe you've heard this line before, you know, we're all just one decision away from ruining our lives. It's actually not the way it works. No, it's not one sudden, egregious act of defiance that sets us off track. No, it's the tiny accommodations that we make every day, probably out even thinking about it, that over time eventually set us on a place where we never wanted to be. You know how that Titanic sunk? One of the reasons why Titanic sunk? Small little course adjustment at the beginning of its journey that over time got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it was in the wrong place. It's the small, everyday decisions that we make without even thinking about it that set us on the path to becoming collaborators with the enemy. The little accommodations to the temptations of our age. I'm going to indulge in that look a little bit longer. 
I'm going to vent my anger a little bit louder. I'm going to judge this person in my head a little bit more critically. I'm going to be a little less present in my marriage so I can make a little bit more money during the day. Not giant, egregious acts of spiritual defiance. No, everyday, tiny accommodations that we make without even thinking about it that over time will sink you. You know, this past week, I had this verse in the back of my head and just started noting just all the tiny little accommodations I was making that reflected more the spirit of our age than the spirit of Christ. It was overwhelming. Reminded me that much more how my, my only hope of a shred of a relationship with God has got to be His free grace coming to me. You know, one of the ways that you know that genuine, the penny of genuine Christianity is starting to drop in your life is when you realize the greatest threat to your spiritual well-being is yourself. And in Psalm 125, God says, I promise to protect you even from you. When we trust in him, when we come to him with a faith that says, I, I've got nothing to offer, I'm expecting no reward in return. I'm just asking for your grace. When you do that, God's got you. He will hold you tighter than you will ever be able to hold on to him. He won't let you wander into his judgment in verse 4. No, no, God has leveraged everything he can, even the expense of his own son, to get you. And so because of that, he is promising he will always strengthen and surround you from external threats, but even more what we need from internal threats. The picture, the promise, third, last, the provision of God's security. Uh, verse 5 uh, seems to end with this kind of cute, quaint little sign-off. It says at the end of all this psalm, peace be upon Israel. When we hear that, you know, peace on Israel, we probably think of something like tranquility, rest, you know, rolling meadows, a babbling brook. I, I, don't, I don't know. Whatever you hear of when you think about that. That's because we hear the word today through the classical Greek understanding of the word peace. To the ancient Greeks, peace was about the absence of certain things. Peace was about the absence of strife, hostility, turmoil. That's how we think about it today, right? But the Hebrew understanding of the word peace in the Bible uh, is different than that. It's the word shalom. Literally means a restored wholeness in life. Peace, shalom in the Bible, wasn't about the absence of certain things, but about the presence of certain things. Peace was about the presence of God, the presence of his blessings, the presence of his protection coming over you. Meaning, you know, when a, when a Hebrew person would say to another Hebrew person, as it was a common greeting, peace be upon you today, he wasn't saying, I hope you don't get in a fight with anybody today. No, he was saying, I hope the rich, full blessings of God land on your life today and stay there. 
In other words, to have the peace of God is to have the blessings of his presence and his protection, everything that Psalm 125 has been telling you. And so how do we get this peace? Well, the hope of God's people was waiting for one who would be called the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, who would bring the ultimate eternal shalom into their lives. And in Ephesians 2, St. Paul says, Christ is our peace. That he is the manifestation of God's presence. Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who gives the blessing of God's protection. Who on the cross brings the ultimate peace, the ultimate shalom, the ultimate restored wholeness, the ultimate eternal blessing of God by becoming vulnerable, unprotected, giving up his sense of security, stretched arm to arm in front of everybody, letting the scepter of wickedness fall on him, dying to defeat the evil outside of us and inside of us, to defeat our sin that is the enemy of shalom and resurrecting, enduring forever, and giving God's blessings to all who trust in his love and grace for them. Jesus is the peace, the shalom, the restored wholeness Psalm 125 is banking on. He's the one who, as we sing at Christmas time, comes to make God's blessings flow as far as the curse is found, to give God's protecting presence that will strengthen and surround you to anybody who trusts not in themselves but comes trusting in God's free love for them. You see, you want to know what will make you really secure in life? You want to know what will give you a, a ballast that no circumstance can ultimately take from you? The love of God. Trust in Him, and He will strengthen and surround you so that nothing can ultimately destroy you. I mean, think about this for a second. What, what can a global pandemic ultimately do to you? When the God who resurrects the dead has said, I am irreversibly committed to you. What can a turbulent economy do when the one who makes empires rise and fall says, I will always provide for you? What can a broken relationship, as harmful as that may be, ultimately do to you? When the one who every relationship is a mere foretaste of says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What can your sin do to you when the judge of the universe says, I died, so it's forgiven? No, in all of these things, though they may hurt, they never will ruin us. Because as Romans 8 reminds us, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? No, Paul goes on to say, I am convinced that neither death 
or life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that might sound like naive optimism if it weren't for the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ that makes that the most certain thing ever written in the history of the world. And the way that we get this peace that Psalm 125 is offering, the blessings of God's protecting presence in security that strengthens and surrounds us, is through Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God dwelled, and who made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus is the provision of God's security, and when we trust in him, when we put down our religious scorecard, and we make his death our only hope, we too can sing this song knowing that though the journey will be long, arduous, and at times dangerous, through Christ, you will safely make your passage home to the eternal Zion where you will worship Jesus in the presence of his people forever. See the picture, hear the promise, trust the provision, and God will strengthen and surround you with his securing love. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you that though in life we are often shaken, you are not. That by grace you secure your people. Holy Spirit, help us to trust now in Christ the provision of God's security and be strengthened and surrounded by his love. Amen.